welcome. Um, just really, uh, it's a privilege to, to be here with you guys. Let me uh, adjust this a little bit. Shake it. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, so uh, when I graduated from, I graduated from college with a degree in psychology and um, found out pretty quickly that with just a degree in psychology, I couldn't get a job really related to psychology. Um, and so uh, I took, took a job. I was fortunate my sister had started a landscaping uh, business while she was in college. Um, and so I was able to get a job with her and uh, worked for $8 an hour. Um, first day I was like shoveling manure um, out of college and it, it went up a little bit from there. But um, anyways, I spent the next seven years between 1993 and 2000 uh, doing that, uh, working in that business. Um, had a lot of really good experiences with that, um, but felt like I needed to do something else around 2000. And I remember I was with my dad, who's here today, um, out in Michigan, and um, had a discussion with him. and was saying, you know, I, I really think I, I'm supposed to be a business consultant. Um, I don't know if you remember that, Dad, but um, we, we talked about it and talked about the fact that, you know, to be a business consultant, you kind of have to get your master's in business administration. Um, and I really didn't want to do that. I'm, I don't like... Uh, school. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, from an outside standpoint, it looked like a dead end. But um, anyways, I just took the first job I could get. I put my resume out and, and got a job, um, not, a, not as a business consultant, but um, just a, a job as an analyst um, in an insurance company, um, entry-level job, and uh, spent the next seven years um, between 2000 and 2007. Um, had, in those seven years, I had eight different bosses. I got sold a bunch of times. But each time my, um, my, my purpose and my intent was to be a, um, devote myself to being a servant to my boss. Um, that was kind of my, my uh, mantra, if you will, was just kind of how can I be a servant to this person. And um, fortunately, I was since I was, I was a kid, had been in the church and had been steeped in the Old and New Testament. And uh, the Old and New Testament is, is full of the concept of servanthood. Um, it's, uh, it's just all over the place. And so as it turns out, um, business consulting is uh, really about servanthood to your client. That's, that's the name of the game. That's, that's what makes a good business consultant. And so in 2007, after I'd spent you know, seven years trying to be a servant to these people, um, I was asked to, uh, and I actually had not said, you know, I want to be a business consultant since that time in 2000, but I was asked to form um, and then lead a business consulting group in the insurance industry um, in 2007, and have been doing that since then. So the, um, I, I think the, the key here, and this for me is that Servanthood was, was critical. Biblical servanthood was critical to that. Um, and it's really, I think, critical to unpacking the passage that Julia read today um, in the New Testament and, and Corinthians. Um, and just to, to kind of get a flavor for um, what we see in the scripture related to servanthood and kind of what, what we've experienced if we've grown up here in the United States, just want to ask a couple questions 
don't want you guys to answer these, but um, just think about them. Um, have any of you had as your occupation that you would have said, you know, if you were in a party or something and someone said, what do you do? You would have said, well, I'm a servant to so-and-so. You know, I, I serve them. That's my career path. Um, and, and that might be the case, but my guess is that most of us, probably all of us, would say, no, you know, maybe some of us would say, well, I'm in the service industry, but I mean more like that's your calling. It's just you're a servant. You have no other attachment. You know, that's just what you are. Um, and so essentially from our, in fact, the word servanthood was not, uh, showed up as misspelled in Microsoft spell check and Google. So bottom line is our culture does not have a real connection with this concept of servanthood. Um, if you look it up in the dictionary, I think, uh, it, it just kind of gives you all these biblical references on, on dictionary.com, but doesn't really give a definition. So all this to say is we as a culture don't really know what, what biblical servanthood is. We have a um, uh, kind of negative concept of, of servanthood. We kind of want to distance ourselves, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But you think about the Old Testament, the New Testament, I'll just bring out a, a few names of people um, Joseph, for instance, was a servant to the jailer, to Potiphar, and then to Pharaoh. You've got Joshua, who was a servant to Moses. Um, you've got uh, David, who even at, when he was anointed as king, entered into as being a servant to Saul. Um, you've got Elisha. Remember Elijah? Well, he had a servant with almost the same name, Elisha. Um, and so Elisha was a servant to Elijah. Gehazi was a servant to Elisha. And that, that's a negative story. But in any case, um, Daniel was a servant to a number of kings. So all these names I've just mentioned, a lot of them might be familiar to you. These are all, you know, many of them famous people, heroic people in the Bible. And at various points or even throughout their entire life, if you were to say, what is the job that you have? What, what do you do for a living? They would have said, well, I'm a servant. That's how they would have responded. Um, and so we can see that servanthood in the Old Testament um, and in the New Testament has a very different connotation, a very different meaning than what, what we experience. Um, so I want to say a few things about what servanthood is, what it looks like, um, particularly in the scriptures, um, and then maybe a couple things about what it's not. Um, first of all, what it is, uh, when, we, when we look at a servant, one of the key features is the servant is both lower than the master, they place themselves beneath the master, and they, uh, they, become, they strive to become like the master. Um, so in, in John, Jesus says, um, I, have set you, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. So Jesus in both of those pieces is saying, both, I've set an example for you, you're to emulate me, you're to imitate me, um, and also, you're not above me, you're beneath me, is the implication. Also in this passage Julia read, Paul actually, if you, if you kind of read through it, and feel free to open up your, your um, passage there, um, but he, he sort of substitutes the concept of being like for being a servant too. So he, he says in the first part, I've become a servant to all, and then as he details out what he means by that, he says, you know, to the Jews, I've become like a Jew. Uh, to, to those under the law, to those outside the law, and to the weak, I've become like them. And so we get this kind of substitution of 
becoming a servant to, and then becoming like. And so you get this concept that in order to become a servant to someone, you have to really become like them in some sense. We actually, in the Old Testament passage, um, it, was, it was beautifully recited. Um, we have the, the second commandment, which is uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and even in that is kind of a, a sense of you have to sort of put yourself in your neighbor's shoes. You have to enter into their world in order to love them. Um, you can't just do it by following a rote list of rules. You have to actually imaginatively place yourself into their world. Another, another key feature of servanthood is a, a realignment of values. Um, so we, uh, you know, when we strive to serve someone, we, we need to realign our values around theirs. Paul expresses this in Philippians. He says, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so we have our own interests. We have you know, sort of a way of serving ourselves. But we need to align that way of serving ourselves and, and say, what would it look like to serve this other person in a way that's, you know, that I like, but now putting it into their, their terms, their values, what's important to them. So we realign our priorities around them. A couple things about what servanthood is not, um, and particularly I'll be reflecting on kind of my initial connotations around the term as I kind of reflect on it through our own culture. Um, so kind of how do we, growing up in, in this country, how have I been sort of trained to think about the concept of being a servant? A couple words that came to mind right away is mechanistic and mindless. So, you know, what is a servant? Well, it's somebody who does what they're told. They don't really, they just kind of put their head down and say, well, you told me to do this, I'm doing it. Um, and in fact, in the business world, that's a lot of what I saw in terms of kind of the way to serve a client was just you, you take good specifications, you listen to your client, you say, okay, well, here's what you told me to do. You want it in two days, I got it to you in two days, I get a gold star. That's, that's the sign of success, um, is good listening and then giving them back what they asked for. And um, that's, that's the concept of servanthood that I see out there. It's the, almost the opposite of what we see in the scripture. In the scripture, being a servant is an, an incredibly creative act. I talked before about you need to enter into the world or the, the, the space of the other person that you're serving um, and that's, that's what we see in, in servanthood in the scripture is this concept of you know, putting yourself in the other person's shoes and then acting almost as an extension of them or as an extension of them. You're trying to expand their power in a sense um, by having them work through you and that is not, it can't be done in some mechanistic way um, and I found that in, in my job again and again as is, is I sort of transitioned from uh, the sort of mechanistic response to clients, they were delighted. They, you know, the sense of like, you go into a, a, a prospect meeting or someone we're trying to win as a new client, and I would say, you know, my philosophy is in a sense that I'm in charge. I'm, I'm trying to like help to, to provide new things for you rather than the idea of like, I always look to you and just wait for you to tell me what to do. And they would say again and again, that's exactly what we need. We want you to sort of help us move forward. Um, it's a, slightly different, but the concept is that um, a mechanistic response was not getting us anywhere. A sort of sense of like, I want to serve you and help you to move forward. They, they love that. Another uh, sort of pushback that, that 
uh, you'll sometimes get if you think about kind of being a servant is, well, I might lose myself. If I sort of put myself under another person, I become this sort of mindless puppet of this other person. I lose who, lose who I am. Um, that's, that's definitely not been the case for me. Um, I have uh, an, an example. One of the guys um, that, that I brought on back in 2009 um, in, in the team of consultants, this is a couple of years after I had started you know, leading this group, um, and it was just a, a pleasure to, to work with him. Even before he started, he started um, came over to my house and got kind of an intro lesson for about six hours on a Saturday um, and then started the next day. And for about six months, he would um, sit across the desk from me, um, at my desk, so he'd come out of his cube and sit at my desk. And um, pretty much every day would do that. He'd work on his computer, and whenever he had a question, he'd say, you know, what, what does this look like to you? How would you put this? And he would keep reshaping himself around the way I would put it. And so in some sense, he's, he's certainly emulating me, and you could see it as like he's losing himself. He's not being himself. But really what he's doing is he's learning how to be himself and how to emulate what, I'm, what, what my mindset, what I would do in that. And as he learned the vocabulary and things like that, he would um, often kind of push back and say, you know, are you sure you want to go that way? What about this way? And he would offer alternatives, many of which are, are baked into our methodologies today, and they have sort of his fingerprint on them. So the, the point is that as you enter into this servanthood, you don't lose yourself. If anything, you really gain more and more of a sense of who you are. That's been the case for me. That was the case for Mark Delu, who I, I just mentioned. Some of you might know him. Um, so hopefully that gives some sense of um, servanthood, what it is, and hopefully like a sense of, you know, as we try to step into Paul's culture, when he talks about being a servant to all people, um, that might be something like what he's thinking of, um, is those things I talked about, those features um, of sort of a, a full alignment with someone, putting yourself under them, and really trying to imitate or be like them, as opposed to maybe our, what we might bring when we think of service is like customer service, you call somebody, and transactionally they try to, try to help you out a little bit. This is a much more... Um, full entry into a lifelong calling of being under that person in a very deep way. So then what Paul does here is, is a, a radical transformation of that idea. So we, we start with the idea of being a servant, and it's this full idea, and Paul then says this kind of overwhelming thing. He says, I, I've, I've become a servant to all people. So you can imagine, like, oh, I'm a servant to anyone who calls in customer service, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I, I use servanthood. I enter in and come under and put them above myself. Um, I have now done this for all people. And so that just should be a mind-blowing thing. It doesn't, it's, it's unfathomable to me. Even after I've spent a lot of time trying to digest this passage, I still can't really figure it out. So... Um, if I've just left you with a good sense of servanthood, that's great. I'll try and go deeper and, and talk about how you would do that with, with everyone, but um, I'm not there yet. So in any case, what I'm going to do here is kind of go through some of these um, lenses that Paul talks about. He talks about the Jews being like the Jews to win the Jews. He talks about those under the law, those outside the law, and then finally the weak, and then says, you know, th this is everyone. I'm all things to all people. Um, so I'll use those lenses kind of, first of all, with the concept of cross-cultural servanthood. Um, and, and I'm going to look to Paul for, for these things. So um, 
in Paul talks, there's a point in Acts where um, we hear that Paul insisted on um, Timothy becoming circumcised uh, in order to better minister to the Jews. And so one of the things we see there is you, as part of that cross-cultural ministry, you want to remove all barriers. You want to look at those things that could be an impediment or a barrier to, um, to being able to connect and remove those things. So you kind of go out of your way to remove those things and look for those things that might be a problem and remove them. Secondly, also looking at Paul, 1 Corinthians, in an earlier part here, um, in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, you might be familiar with this, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, uh, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What we see here is that, that um, Paul is sort of filling in the gaps. He's filling in a gap of communication there. So to the Jews, they demand signs or power. Um, the Greeks look for wisdom. And he says to himself, well, I want to share Christ with them. I want to share that Christ was crucified with them. So how do I make this real into their value system? Power, wisdom. And he says, well, you know, Christ, th there is power of God. So he shares the power of God with the Jews. And then he's also, there's the wisdom of God. And sh so he shares the wisdom of God with the Greeks. And so basically, it's Paul's way of, of really trying to connect with both, both sides um, in a way that's both truthful and meaningful to them. Um, the, the second category is um, this concept of those who are under the law. I'll kind of use that to speak about sort of people that you encounter that are, we'll call it, religious or potentially even legalistic. Um, just to talk through this, Susan's given me permission to talk about an experience she had that I think kind of sheds light on this, this a bit. She grew up in the church, um, and after a while came to realize, uh, this is in the last, last uh, 10 years or so, uh, she came to realize that um, she was kind of treating daily devotions and Bible reading as a sort of like um, uh, an obligation, something that she needed to do. And it was actually getting in the way of her relationship with God. And so she decided and prayerfully decided and felt led to, um, to give it up to give up Bible reading, at least as a compulsory thing. She would still do it, you know, if she felt like it, but not, not out of compulsion. And she shared this with some people at the time that she was doing this, and they, they felt like this was an act of rebellion and, and told her so. And I think the, as she, she continued to go through that and um, found it to be a life-giving thing, found it to be a way to actually reconnect with God, reconnect with the scriptures. Um, so... It, it, was, it was an act of faith that she was doing, but to an outsider standpoint, it looks like she's doing the wrong thing. And so from a templated perspective, or sort of like if we sort of say, well, there's a way a Christian should look like, you could look at her and say, here, you, I'm, I'm helping you out. You ought to be different. I'm going to chastise you. Um, but what needed to happen there is people needed to enter in, really kind of see where she's at, what is God doing in her life, and then say, you know, okay, like now I can, can kind of speak in. I've listened to you. I've listened to the Lord. I've prayed about this. There might be something or might not be something that I have to say into this, but it's not something that you can just kind of approach from the outside and just look at external things and judge. The, the third category is those outside the law for Paul. I'm going to talk about that in terms of those outside the church. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about, I'll paraphrase here, he talks about the idea that 
as we approach those outside the church, he, he calls them sort of this, this, those who are immoral, and he lists a bunch of immoralities and says those who are outside the church um, but are this way, what is our, what is our calling? What is, how are we to interact with them? And he says we're to associate with them non-judgmentally. Um, and so that's our calling. And, and here I'll bring in this concept that Paul talks about in each one of these. He says, you know, interacting with the Jews, becoming like the Jews, that I might win some, that I might win some of the Jews or win them. Um, and, he, and he goes through each of them talking about wanting to win them. That's the purpose. So as we think about interacting with those outside the church, and we, we, we remember Paul's calling to associate non-judgmentally with them, think about also your purpose in interacting with them. It's to win them. Um, and really to win them to the gospel is what Paul's talking about here. So really the, the pivotal thing there is not to win them to a correct morality. Um, it's to win them to the gospel. And then, you know, Jesus, you know, it's up to him how he wants to speak into that. He may even use you to do that. But that's, again, kind of like that's something that's going to be happening down the line. The first order of business is just the Lord and the Lord's, the, Lord's uh, the, the incredible work that he's done and who he is, that introduction. Um, finally, the, the last category Paul talks about is those who are weak. Um, and I'm actually going to sort of refine this and just say it's like from, from Paul's perspective, he's talking about those who are of lower social status. Um, and one of the reasons I'm doing this is earlier in Corinthians, um, Paul actually is taught, speaking to the Corinthians um, and I'm going to skip around a little bit, but he says about the Corinthians that they were of low status. Here's how he says it. Not many of you were wise by human standard, standards. Not many were influential, and not many were of noble birth. So he's kind of saying, you were, you were of this lower status. Um, and in response to this, here's what Paul says. Um, he resolved to come to them in weakness. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching we're not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And so what we see there is that Paul, as he, as he sees the Corinthians, um, these people that are, uh, you know, by his own description, they're of lower status uh, than maybe was common at the time. Um, he, he lowers himself. This is a guy who has been described by our own bishop as being possibly the most sort of brilliant person uh, in, in the history of, of humankind. Um, and so he, he's an exceptionally brilliant, exceptionally wise. I mean, Paul, m- most of our theology is influenced, if not directly coming from the words that, that Paul used. So just this brilliant person, he chose to put all of that aside. He doesn't even bring that to bear. He, he decides, I'm not going to use that in this case. I'm not going to bring my credentials. I'm not going to display the wisdom that God has given me. What he does instead is he, um, he allows God to display himself in power so that the people, uh, the Corinthian church, would, um, would base their faith not on the wisdom of this man that might be seen as like uh, wrapped up in him, but on the, this external uh, reality that God has directly brought about. Even if it was Paul who prayed about it, he, he's clear that like this is God's power. Um, and similarly, as we connect with um, you know any that that might be seen as weak, um, I think it's critical that we as a church uh, enter into that and and sort of put aside anything that might lift ourselves up. 
um, just like Paul did. So as I, as I worked through this passage and I tried to think about, like, you know, how do I, um, how do I apply this? And I talked about before that the concept of servanthood, it's one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about professionally um, and have really tried to exercise in my professional life. Um, but I became convicted as I thought about applying this, trying to, you know, go to the all people route. And I thought about, well, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about, like, how do I serve a CFO or how do I serve my boss? Um, but I really don't spend that much time, if, at all, if any, thinking about how do I serve my wife or my children. Um, and so that's, that's something I would just confess to you guys um, and would ask for your prayer for me in, um, is, you know, how do I sort of apply the same, you know, energy and, and creative effort into how do I serve my own household? Um, and I would kind of challenge you guys in the same way, as, as you kind of think through these concepts of servanthood and want to apply them, um, if you're led to do that, um, is just, you know, start, start small. Start with those right around you in your community, um, in your household, and just say, okay, well, what does this look like? Um, and as, as we uh, enter into that, I'm convinced uh, there's a joy that comes in creative service. It's just... It, it really can um, be a, a joyful thing. And so as we do that, I think that joy um, really will propel us as a church and as people to more and more be serving all, all people as Paul did, and as, as he put that example there. Uh, a few questions here that might be useful as you kind of think about tactically how to put this in place. What does it mean to serve people? Um, one of the things to be in prayer about as you think about um, those people that you might be called to serve even today, um, what brings that person joy? Um, what brings joy to them? And uh, you know, possibly, you know, what can you do to help them find that, that thing that would bring them joy? Additionally, is there anything holding that person back from flourishing? Um, I know many of us uh, ourselves or those we know might be in bondage, might, might sort of have certain impediments uh, that are preventing them, or barriers that are preventing them from connecting with God, from growing in their faith. Um, so just reflect on that and pray about that. And that's actually a way you can serve people, is by um, entering into that with them and really trying to understand those barriers and what it, what it would look like for those barriers to be removed, um, and just entering in and being with them in that. Additionally, uh, sometimes there's an environment that allows for flourishing, and so praying, praying for that, what would an, an environment around this person look like that would help them to flourish? And maybe there's a way that you can help to build that environment um, along with them. So, you know, co-laboring together in that effort. So in closing, just if you could, um, I want to pray for us along these lines. Dear Lord, we, we lift up um, ourselves, or we lift up this church. Um, I pray that you would send your spirit to be with us and to let us dwell with your scriptures, be enriched by your scriptures, by all the stories of how, how you have called servants forth. Let us follow in their ways. Let us follow in the ways of Christ who served us in the most perfect way by becoming one of us, by becoming like us and actually becoming a man like ourselves, to serve us, um, to bring us to, uh, to heaven with him.
someday and to bring us to salvation. Glory be to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.